Join me every month for the inspiration to find your finish line. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Find Your Finish Line, the podcast that's not only about you being able to find your finish line at a race or an event, but also in life. I'll talk to people from all walks of life who have jumped over a lot of hurdles to get to where they are today, and hopefully their stories will help inspire you to find your next finish line. I'd like to also thank all of you listeners out there for listening all year long. Thank you very much. And my executive producer, Andy Riley, and the production company, BCC, Boulder County Communications. I could not do it without you guys. And all of you, please, if you'd send me a message of what type of guests you'd like to see for the 2024 season, just send me a message at MikeRiley.net. I pick them all up and I'll read them. And I'm getting inquiries about the holiday season on, Mike, can I buy your book? Can I get it autographed? Can I get a video recording? Yes, yes, and yes. You can buy the book on Amazon, soft cover, hard cover. The hard cover is better to sign. And send me a message. After you buy the book, you can send it to me. I'll let you know the address. I'll sign it and send it back to you. And the same for my video recordings. You can also go to MikeRiley.net, check out the video recording, and I can give your loved one a personal video message from me to them on behalf of you for the holiday season. My guest today, I met him back in 1999 at Ironman, Florida. He came across the finish line and I noticed, oh my goodness, he's from my hometown of Toledo, Ohio, which I thought was very cool. And then he, I kept seeing him at Ironman after Ironman after Ironman, and I got to know him quite well. Welcome to the podcast today, Todd Rando. How are you? Mike, I am so excited, honored, like you said, and I am fired up to do this today. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And, you know, it's all about the messaging we hear in our lives. But more importantly, it's about the messaging that we're able to give. You're a professional clinical counselor now, you're a licensed independent chemical dependency counselor. 13 years you had the addiction to alcohol, to drugs. Your life was a mess from 1980 to 1993, self-admittedly. And you came out onto the other side and you're still coming out to the other side. Before we get in to all of that, I always ask my guests a first question, Todd. What kind of workout did you get in today, buddy? You know, I only did I only did 50 push-ups today. That's well, it. Don't, don't say only because yeah, that's, true. that's 50 more than a lot of people. <laughs> that's true. I, I say that to clients that I work with. Don't say you only have six months of sobriety. So I appreciate you calling me to the carpet on that. But I did 50 push-ups and... I did 50 push-ups. What else can I say, right? Nothing. And, you know, people like ourselves, when I ask that question, whether it's a professional triathlete, a great age group athlete like you, anybody, it always gives them a little angst. Like, doggone it, Riley's calling me out, <laughs> especially if they didn't get a workout in today. So I'm glad you got your 50 push-ups in, Todd. <laughs> you so, know, I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say rest 
is one of the most important disciplines of triathlon. So I'm going to I'm going to ride that for this show, I think. Okay, I'll let you get away with that. It's not like I haven't heard that before, okay? <laughs> Todd, you are a, an amazing story and one that shows that the human spirit has this resiliency that if you finally start figuring out a path for yourselves, it'll happen. You became sober in April of 1993. And why is it always so important to keep, for, for someone that, that was abusing drugs or alcohol, to keep a date in mind, to keep your days counted? Why is that so important, Todd? Uh, the date for me, April 15th, 1993, it's more than a date. It's a gift. I believe that I received a gift from, you can, some folks may call it God, some may call it Buddha. I'll throw in my, my mom that committed suicide when I was three from her drug addiction, whatever we want to describe it or call it. I got that gift. And it was just simply, I'm done with drugs and alcohol. I knew in my heart and my soul I was done. I had a lot of cleaning up to do. And I knew I was going to go somewhere and do something. I just had no idea what this journey was going to be like. But I knew, again, that I was done with the bad stuff and I was going to go get some good stuff. And here I am today. It's funny when I've talked, not funny, but quite amazing to me when I talk to a lot of people that have had an addiction, that when they say that date, I figured out I was done. Lionel Sanders, professional triathlete, did the same thing with me. And what what was that pivot point? What what was that moment? Why did it happen? Did you were you close to suicide and said I can't do this? Why did that happen on that date to you? And you brought up suicide, and I'm going to say this uh, honestly because everything that comes out of my mouth is heartfelt and it's honest. I've struggled with suicide my entire life, even as a 56 year old man. It still haunts me at times. Um, I've I've looked at it as a reminder of how fragile life is. For me on that date, I received my third drunk driving charge. A lot of people call things like this a rock bottom. I call it the greatest thing that ever happened to me at that time. I, I prefer to take cliches like rock bottom and, and turn them into something positive, like a new beginning, a wake up call. You know, I, it wasn't a rock bottom for me because every day I drank for 13 years was, quote, a rock bottom. <laughs> I've, I looked at this as this is a blessing. I, you know, I went to jail. I lost my license. It, it didn't matter to me. I knew that, like I said, I was on to something better. So to me, it was, a, it was a blessing and a new beginning. You also, because you reminded me of the fact of something that you had said and I read about you, on addiction, you don't you don't really call yourself a recovering addict, do you? I do not. I I don't. I look. I respect the traditional ways of doing things. I got my start in the traditional programs. I refer people to them still. I just I was looking for something more, and people like my former self that are so defeated. They have no self-esteem. They feel worthless. They feel hopeless. And to instantly put 
in my opinion, a negative label on ourselves. You know, hi, I'm Steve. I'm an addict. I'm like, I've always looked at people. I'm like, okay, Steve, I, I know you did a lot of drugs, but who else are you? Are you a father? Are you a son? Are you a, a musician? Do you, are, do you pray? Give me something other than, in my opinion, a negative con- connotation. I have not been addicted to drugs for over three decades. So I'm not recovering from anything. I am living. And that, that is more powerful. It's empowerment. It's positive. And that's what I prefer to refer myself as and the people that come to Racing for Recovery for help. That's the type of verbiage we use. Have you had pushback from the traditional places because of that? Because that's what you're talking about or teaching? I've had pushback my entire life, Mike. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've had pushback when I was doing drugs, when I quit doing drugs, how I stayed sober. I've had pushback in Ironman. Pushback to me is a uh, an opportunity to have a healthy, productive, honest conversation where maybe we can agree or if we disagree, we can still agree that we disagree. And that's okay. Good for you. You know, uh, Todd, people always talk about in, in our game with, with athletics about willpower. You know, you You've got the willpower, you can win. You've got the willpower, you can finish. You've got the willpower, you can get a degree. But willpower, when you have an addiction, most of the time can't pull you through. You need other help, don't you? Now I'm going to use my, my master's degree and some of my clinical education in this stuff. So you're, going, I, you're going to go, wait a minute, you're going to go higher education on me. Not high, <laughs> different. Uh, I can't even believe I have a, the education I have because I didn't have confidence educational-wise. However, people like me, and I, I'm fortunate enough to meet people like me every day. As I said, we are not people that have a lot of self-esteem. We're, we are broken to a certain extent. I believe that, that addiction starts from a genetic predisposition. As I said, my mom killed herself from drugs. My uncle killed himself from drugs. My aunt killed herself from food. And I have a fourth surviving aunt that still battles a food addiction. The logical question would be, what is going on that four kids have had problems and three of them have actually committed suicide over it? It's based on trauma. People are dealing with trauma. The impact of trauma is astronomical. I don't think we've even really scratched the surface on what trauma does to our minds, bodies, and souls. It rewires our brains. It it changes our physical makeup a lot of times. It's, as I said, catastrophic. So when we can look at willpower with the understanding of the impact of trauma, how to get clinical licensed help to cope with it effectively, willpower is essential to overcome negative thoughts, life's hardships. That's where willpower will enable us to not only sustain sobriety, but achieve anything we want in our recovery. Well put. Yeah, I, the willpower. I had a question further down about the willpower because, uh, I'm sorry, about trauma as you talked about, 
so many people, so many of us have trauma in our lives. It's just, it's a part of life, some to a greater degree than others. But why do some people, Todd, turn to addictions and that negative lifestyle to cope with trauma? That's, a, that's the million-dollar question, right, Mike? And you and I, we grew up in the same area. It's beautiful here in Toledo. I, I went to good schools. I had, mm-hmm. you know, I had nice clothes. I played sports. I had everything that any kid could want, but I just didn't have myself. I didn't, I didn't feel right. I, I never felt like I was going to be on this planet as a young kid. And I made the unfortunate choice just to try alcohol at the age of 13. I, I wasn't peer pressured into it. I knew drugs were bad. Every kid knows drugs are bad. I just made a cognizant choice to try it. And I think that's what ignited the uh, predisposition that I talked about genetically. And it, it just, it was like being shot out of a cannon. I, the second time I ever drank, I drank an entire bottle of Jack Daniels and took speed with it. And it it just snowballed to three or four grams of cocaine a day and two bottles of whiskey a day and heroin and crack. It was just, it was like a rocket ship. And I, uh, you think that you think all that doing all that was your form of maybe suicide without pulling a trigger? 100%, Mike, and I love your questions with this. I did not want to live. And after a couple years of doing drugs at this level, I just figured I was going to end up the way my mom did. And it was almost like, let's just hurry up and get there. My dad even said to me, he never thought I was going to make it to 16. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to share the story, Mike. My dad came over to my apartment I was 19 or 20 years old and I was snorting cocaine in front of my dad as, as he was crying and pleading with me to get help. And we both were kind of looking at each other with the reality of, I'm not going to make it. And it was almost, it was so bizarre because we both accepted it. And I can look back at that now as a father, and I actually became a grandfather two days ago. And oh, I, I, oh fantastic. I, I love that. Good for you. It's, it's different, right, with being a grandfather. And I, I, I just look back at those times with grace, with gratitude, with empathy for what I caused my, my family. And it was just like another person. But it, it goes back to a lack of self. I just didn't have any belief in myself. So drugs were a way for me to not think or feel. And every day I just hoped I wouldn't wake up the next day. And and Todd, you were an accomplished hockey player. You had a sport for all the aggressions and the things that a young, young adult needs to have. And I'm thinking, and, and, and I'm asking questions now for other people that got into sports and it kind of directed their lives. Why wasn't that fulfilling enough for you? That's a great question. I, I thought it was. When I found hockey, I, I found my ticket. And you, you and I both know the Jablonskis that played pro hockey from yeah. Toledo. And I played with them. Pat and I were the goalies growing up. I can remember even Pat telling me I was headed for the, the, wrong, the wrong path. 
I thought hockey was going to be my out, and it was for a long time. And that will lead into when we start talking about Ironman later. But it wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. And I, I used to say that hockey got taken away from me, and that's not true. I gave it away. I chose drugs over the one thing that was my saving grace, and I gave it away. And I've been thankful to find it through Ironman, and that's why Ironman is so important to me. It's not only given me that physical athletic outlet, it's, gave, it's given me a platform to talk about racing for recovery and people that currently feel the way I formerly did um, that can get some help. And it's also a way for me to meet just amazing people throughout the world, including yourself. Yeah, it's a, uh, you know, it's funny. I've always said that, oh yeah, take yourself 140.6 miles and it may heal you. And to, to go through such pain to be healed seems like a dichotomy, but, but it's true every day, isn't it? Yes, every day and every race. I, I just did Ironman Greece, October 22nd. And that was the hardest run out of all of my Ironmans that I've ever done. I, I've never seen hills like this. It was brutal. And I, I, I hurt physically. And I kept thinking, the hurt physically is nothing compared to the hurt that I used to feel emotionally, that I can empathize with people that are feeling emotional pain, that are battling suicide, ideation. Uh, physical pain, to, to me, transfers to gratitude that I have a body that works that can feel pain. And it's, it's a, it's a motivator. And that's where the willpower comes in to get to the finish, to embrace the emotional wellness that I do have today. Todd, you have had those demons of suicide for a long time and uh, you've come close. Why, why didn't you do it? What stopped you? Too scared. Too too scared of where I might go. Boy, I hope I'm not freaking some people out right now. Uh, it's okay. Too scared I might go. Honestly, if I, 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 there was a long time that I wanted to talk to my mom just to have her say something to me that could pull me out of this. And at one point I realized if I killed myself and met my mom, she would say, why did you make the same mistake I did? And I, I didn't want to have that conversation. I don't want to hurt my kids. I don't want to pass the, uh, the cycle on to my kids. My grandson, like I said, that was born the other day, he's the first kid in five generations that's going to be born with a clean slate. No drug problems in the history. Suicidal ideation is gone, and there's just nothing but emotional love for this young kid. And I'm, I'm grateful that I can be a part of that, but it's taken five generations to get that sorted. That's a long time. But these are the things that when I'm battling my own demons, I'm like, I want to stick around to see certain things happen. And that's honestly what pulls me out. Now you get to see your grandson go through elementary school high school, play sports, get a college degree, get married. Isn't that the best feeling in the world? I'm excited for that. And I have this vision of three generations doing an Ironman together at some point. 
Why, why not? Let me tell you a great story about my eight-year-old grandson. We're at a Padres, San Diego Padres baseball game this summer. They showed the video board in between the innings. There was two gentlemen standing there. One had a sign, uh, my mom is 90 years old today. The other had a sign, my grandma's 90 years old. She's standing in between them. She's waving with this beautiful smile on her face. I looked at my grandson, Graham, and I said, Graham, will you take Papa to a Padres game when he's 90? He goes, yeah, and I'll be driving by then. So <laughs> we have this bet. I'm going to stick around at least the 90 so he can take me to that Padres game. And that's what uh, it's all about. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Todd, during your uh, time, it was 1993 that you became sober, but it wasn't until 2001 where you started putting together racing for, for recovery during th those years. What'd you do in between? I mean, your purpose was doing races and stuff, but how did racing for recovery come about? Well, this, I know you're going to chuckle at this because people do every time. I, ironically, I became a pharmaceutical sales representative in my <laughs> I did not know that. That is, yeah. that is, it's funny now, isn't it? <laughs> it's crazy. I, I, I interviewed with the company that used to, that sold Valiums, which was one of the drugs that I abused quite heavily. And I said, I appreciate the offer, but this is a conflict of interest. I have to politely decline. And I actually sold a drug for bacterial vaginosis and genital warts, which no problem for me abusing those drugs. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I became a pharmaceutical sales rep because again, not having the self-esteem yet, I did what people that were close to me told me I should do. They're like, Todd, you have a great personality. You'd be good at sales. You've got a college degree now. Go do that. And my willpower, we talked about earlier. I'm like, okay, I went and did it. I, I just didn't feel good enough. My self-esteem talking to doctors, I'm like, they're smarter than me. I can't do this. So I struggled in that. Um, I did Ironman New Zealand in 2001, which I know is near and dear to your heart. Uh, got into Ironman in 99, did my fourth Ironman in New Zealand, like I said. The Toledo Blade put me on the front page of the sports section, from Attic to Ironman, and, and told my story. And the response from that article was just mind-blowing. I mean, guys that I had done drugs with that were in prison were calling me or former teachers and hockey coaches. And they were all like, I can't believe you're alive. And I can't believe you're doing this event. And, and I, again, I got another gift and it, I just came up with the name racing for recovery. And I'm like, I, I want to start a program that can help some people. And that was it. I, I, I knew nothing about running a nonprofit. I, I knew nothing, but that, that willpower, that drive, when we can take that drive and put it into something productive, you get what I'm fortunate enough to do today. Uh, 22 years in service through Racing for Recovery. It's affected people across the globe. You know, I'm a five-time author, blah, 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 all the stuff. And that's what my life has become. And I'm, I'm thankful for it because it's given me my life's purpose. I feel good about myself. And to watch people come in the way that I was and come out on the other side is truly one of the greatest joys I get to experience in my life. And you have a beautiful facility right outside of Toledo in, in Holland, Ohio. And 
was was one of the main reasons, Todd, that you wanted to have a place like that is because obviously you went through the traditional programs. You still support them and send people there. But you wanted to build something that gave a little bit more to people when they come in. Tell us about your facility and what you do for them differently. I I ran Racing for Recovery out of my closet and <laughs> uh, that eventually I filed bankruptcy and the house got taken from us. But uh, I ran it out of my house and we used to just have support group meetings that were different than the traditional meetings, meaning we combined family uh, with people who are battling addiction and the public at large, because I didn't want to copy what the traditional programs do greatly. I wanted to do something different and kind of fill a void that I was looking for. Then after doing that for a few years, I went and got educated. I, I got licensed as a professional clinical counselor. And I'm like, I, I want to open my own place and provide clinical help to people, which AA doesn't do. So we were blessed to get our own facility in, in 2016, and I describe it as a sports hall of fame combined with the rock and roll hall of fame. It's It doesn't look clinical. It's painted bright green, and there's jerseys from athletes on the walls, and there's pictures of musicians, and it's we have a plant-based kitchen, and we do all kinds of healthy activities that really give people a message of, wow sobriety is cool. It's fun. It's not boring. And that's what our facility is like. And I can't wait for you to see it someday. Oh uh, yeah. I, I definitely will get back and, and see that. You, you probably discovered because, you know, we can talk with family and friends and one-on-one, -on -one, but why is it so much more powerful when we have sessions, you have sessions in your recovery that involve a lot of people together? Is it because when people share their stories and the things they do, people learn from that? Why are sessions like that more powerful than one-on-one? -on -one? Community is everything. Whether it's the Ironman community and a bunch of us are sitting in Kona talking about how hot it was and how somebody overcame it. Uh, f for me, I can... I can relate to people in recovery. I can relate to the addiction. I don't like talking about the stories of addiction because we've all done there, been there, done that. I like talking to recovering people and, and ask, you know, what, what are your emotional obstacles that you overcome? How did you do that? I love hearing from family members. When I can listen to a family member about what my choices of using drugs did to them, that's something I need to listen to. I need to let them vent on what it felt like to love somebody who was destroying themselves with drugs. Conversely, I love it when a family can learn what it's like to walk in our shoes. So it's an educational opportunity for both sides to really show empathy for the other side and gratitude that, that both sides are healing and collectively things are pretty good. It was one of the toughest things in your recovery having to apologize, Todd? No, that's one of the easiest things. Is it really? It, yeah, it was. it's really easy for me to recognize the hurt that I caused and simply say, not only am I sorry, but I would love to listen to you talk to me about what, what my choices did to you. Um, 
how, how did I hurt you emotionally? What was it like to worry about somebody that you cared for that couldn't care for yourself? That, that stuff is easy. What's really hard for, for myself and I hear it in other people is to forgive ourselves. I, I've forgiven myself for doing drugs. Sometimes I don't, uh, boy, you're at, this is a, this is stirring a little bit of stuff in me. I don't forgive myself for not healing from those bad suicidal thoughts. I sometimes think I should be able to not have them. Um, I, I don't think I show myself enough compassion a lot and I need to, I need to get better at that. Does it help when other people show you compassion? Like, your daughters, family members? It, it does. Boy, you are asking some tough questions today, my friend. Uh, yes. When I get compassion from people, it, it shows me that I, that I am a value. Even sometimes if I don't think I'm, I'm a value, at least other people see it, which allows me to see it's there. I just still need to, to do more work on myself to really accept what I'm hearing. And that, that's the challenge. And this, Mike, this goes back to stuff that I don't think that three-year-old kid certainly couldn't comprehend. Mm. And even at 56, I still, uh, I think I still reap some of the scars of that. And I, I don't know how to uh, actually fix that, if you will. I don't know if it's fixable, accepting the fact that, uh, I still have a lot of pain. Sometimes is good. It keeps me humble. It keeps me driven. It keeps me open-minded to learn and, and improve. And those are all good qualities. So I have a great ability of taking anything that can be perceived as negative and using it in a constructive manner. And this topic certainly is one of those. In, in the simplest terms, it's always a work in progress. Simplest what? terms. <laughs> yes, I'm going to ask you one. We'll lighten it up a little bit. So you finish an Ironman. It's back, you know, in the uh, 99 and the early 2000s, and you're coming across the line. Then all of a sudden you notice, my gosh, this guy's got a lot of tattoos. And it was before, Todd, tattoos were like the thing. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. you were you sleeved up. The, so where did the tattoos come from? Do they mean anything? Was it... When you were addicted and you just did it, can you share that with us? This is great. I Before I answer this, I, I remember vividly all your calls, me coming across the finish line. <laughs> I remember distinctly, I did Ironman New York, one and done. Yeah. You saw me coming out of the water out of, I don't know what we swam in, but I made it out of that. I did the next weekend, I finished in Mount Tremblant. Mm. And you saying to me, he did it again. You know, as I came across the finish line, I loved hearing that. And I was fully tattooed by then. The tattoo story. I have to say, uh, Motley Crue has been, is, and always will be one of my favorite bands. Those guys <laughs> have motivated me in a lot of ways that I emulate in business today. Uh, I, I got... I'd say 95% of my tattoos came in sobriety. They all mm. represent something. 
My kids' names are tattooed on me. I have the word uh, love, faith. I have God tattooed on me. I have, they tell my story. They become a marketing tool for me. And I like being different. I was the kid that had several earrings back when earrings came out. I was the kid that started getting tattoos. Now I have a tendency to cover them up a lot to look different than what some other people do. So I, I, I like being different. I like marching to my own, my own drumbeat, if you will. Uh, but tattoos certainly have been a, a way to express myself, and they certainly are a marketing tool to promote everything that I do today. Beautiful. I never knew that. I'm glad, I'm glad I asked. Tell us about your, you came up with four big ideas, and it's what you teach or talk about at your facility. So what are those four big ideas and where'd they come from? The four big ideas came from my, my soul. They came from what I knew myself, what I was starting to recognize in other people. And the four big ideas that are in my second book, there's more than one way to get to Cleveland. Yeah. I want to talk about that. (laughs) I love that title. (laughs) Number one, anybody can get off of drugs. And I want to say this crystal clear to the people who are watching this right now. If you have a drug or alcohol addiction, you never have to drink or use drugs again. That's a fact. That is a 100% fact. We do not have to use again. Number two, it's the racing for recovery slogan. With sobriety, anything is possible. We can achieve anything when we're not doing drugs. Number three, and this is where it gets sticky for people, and we talked about this earlier, we're not immune to life's hardships. That's life. Whether you're a drug user or not, you're going to go through some stuff. Number four, you don't have to use drugs to deal with it. And if we can put those four big ideas into our minds, hearts, and souls, we're going to be okay. It's not always easy, but it is definitely always doable, especially three and four. I need people to know just like that's why I'm so vocal, not so much on my success, because I've had some successes. I talk about my struggles because those, when you overcome the struggles, those are really the successes. You know, uh, you're battling suicide. I hear you. What do you need? How do you overcome it? How did you do that? Those are the things I think that are for people like me are very important to show people hope that you can overcome anything. So how do I, how do I know there's more than one way to get to Cleveland, Todd Crandall? I think this started at Whitmer High School. Whoa! I got my, when I wrestled in high school, I got my butt kicked at Whitmer. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you brought up a bad memory for me. <laughs> that, that school, uh, that school is a tough school, right? And I, I got, my my second speaking engagement was, was at Whitmer. Oh. Started using this analogy when people would talk about the traditional programs what Racing for Recovery was doing. Somebody else may talk about God that helped them recover. And I started saying, you know, hey, there's more than one way to get to Cleveland. And I'd say, you know, somebody may drive, somebody may fly. In my case, I may ride my bike there. And it just became this this way of describing getting to sobriety. It doesn't matter how you get to Cleveland. As long as you're in Cleveland and I want to hear about your journey to Cleveland, that maybe 
if you drove to Cleveland and you had a fear of flying to Cleveland, that you'd have the courage to fly to Cleveland. So it became like a metaphor of listening, learning, and sharing with respect to attaining and sustaining sobriety. So in other words, that destination is there. It's not going to move. You just have to figure out the ways without Google Maps how to get there. Correct. Because there's a lot of ways to get there. (laughs) There's a lot of ways to get there, and this is no one way is better than the other. You know, it's like, uh, you know, if we use some Ironman stuff, you know, Saucony is a great running shoe. You know, Hoka's a great running shoe. Okay, great. Why do you like Saucony's? Why do you like Hoka's? You finish the Ironman, good on you. That Right? It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Racing triathlons and Ironmans, when you're doing that, Todd, does it take you to a place for the moment while you're racing where your self-confidence is the highest for you of any time of the year? Yes. Okay. So I, I know I've had... I, so that, does that continue at all afterwards for yourself? It does. I... I anxiety before the swim is difficult for me. Not, I don't want to say difficult. It's awful for me still. Whoever can find the magical cure for that, somebody let me know. Um, I know we all go through it. We'd make millions for goodness sakes. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm like, and I keep coming back for more to try and yeah. figure it out. But that's the challenge. I love looking in the mirror on race morning when I'm scared again and I go, can you do it again today? And when I get out of the swim, the answer is yes, I can. And I referred back to seeing you in in New York coming out of the Hudson River. I don't like biking. I'm not a good biker. The bike is, um, I struggle physically on it, but I love seeing the beautiful parts of this awesome world we live on. And I take in the beauty of it. Like, oh my God, I'm in Greece or I'm in South Africa. I used to live in my car. This is awesome. I use that as a coping mechanism to get to the run because when I get to the run, I know I'm going to finish. If I'm feeling good, I love to run. I love the euphoria of running. Finishing is the culmination of the highest euphoria in sports I've ever had. And that euphoria carries me on after the race to be a better father, be a better partner, a better businessman, a better speaker, a better whatever I'm doing. That's why I keep doing them. I have figured out, and I know this is a thing for Ironman folks, the post-Ironman blues syndrome. Mm. That was a struggle for me early on, and I, I recognized it was a problem, and I figured out my own way of coping with that. A lot of ways I cope with it is to do more Ironmans, which can be good and not so good at times. But the benefits of doing Ironman, as you know, and anybody who's done them are it's I can't even I couldn't quantify them. They they just make me a better person and a better person who is fulfilling my life's purpose. That's what Ironman has done for me. Oh, you mentioned post Iron Man blues and I've had post Iron Man announcing blues for a year, but I'm okay now. So it's good. It's fine. <laughs> takes a while. Yeah, it, it does. It takes a while when something's a part of your blood for so long. What's the first thing if someone, and they don't come to you and you're 
your, your facility or anything like that. But if they just want some advice, what's the first thing you tell them? You can. <laughs> you can. You can do it. You can do it. I just had a girl. Today. Uh, she emailed me from Detroit. Heard about me. Uh, I think she read a couple of our books. She's coming for help because she keeps going back to it. And she said, I, I just find myself going back to it. And I, I think I asked her in the email, are you enduring emotional problems, which she was. And I'm like, this is where we got to start. A lot of times think that people think that they can outsmart it. I'm college educated. I should know better. It's, it's not about that. It's understanding. We have to use our intellect to understand this is an emotional thing. It's not an intellectual thing. There's plenty of smart people out there who are dying from drug addiction. I, I want people to understand that you can do this. Let me show you how you can help yourself. I, that's the first thing I start with. Some have said the transference of addiction. Uh, I've heard this with a lot of people. Well, I'm no longer drinking, no longer doing drugs, no longer gambling. But all of a sudden, they put something else in their life, which is extreme, according to their, uh, with thoughts of their family and friends. Do you see that? I mean, especially Iron Man. And, and, well, you just go from one to the other. You're, you're, you're not an alcohol, but my gosh, you're doing these over 140-mile races, you know, eight, ten times a year from one to the other. How do you address that? I, I don't like, again, the cliche words of, you know, transference of addiction to a a negative addiction to a positive addiction. I had a publicist at one point that, and I used to say that, and she said, Todd, let's, let's rephrase that. You've taken a negative addiction and turned it into a new focus of wellness. And mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, and I, I live by, however, I have been, I've been out of balance with Ironmans at different parts of my career where I've, I've done too many I've justified it by always trying to promote racing for recovery, which in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm doing a good thing, but it's, it's, it come at a, it came at a bit of a price. I've recognized that I've reined that back in a little bit, but I still look at what I'm doing as a new focus. That's given me a platform to share a story that can be of service and that's okay. But I am definitely not addicted to Iron Man. I enjoy them, but if it ended today, I'd probably be like you where it'd take me a year to get over it and then I'd pick up ping pong or something. Yeah. <laughs> We're not, don't take up pickleball. That's I, I just, not yet. Okay. <laughs> not yet. No, I just wrote something down because, uh, in my life it's, it's happened to me and to others. I know who's, who sets you straight in your life. That's close to you. Who tells you what you need to be told, but sometimes you don't want to hear it. My daughter, Skylar, who just had the, my grandson that I was referring to, she was born five years to the day that I quit drinking. Mm. Beautiful gift. Beautiful gift. Uh, she has put me in my place uh, and, not, and pretty much recently. And I, you know, when you, you know what it's like when somebody says something that you know they're right, there's no response other than I heard you and thank you. And, and that's it. Uh, I've had some dear friends that I admire that will tell me how I'm doing. Um, when, when, uh, when the question gets asked, how am I doing? A lot of times I'll say, ask the people that care about me. 
that's a good reference as to how I'm doing. You know, um, I, I like that. I use that a lot. But the, the people that really know us and love us will not be afraid to tell us what they need to tell us. And I like that. If I'm doing something wrong or I'm not being my best, I, I want to know that so I can fix it. That's hard to do, especially for men. You know that, don't you? I, I do. I do. It, it's, it, 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 whoa, we're getting, we're, God, Mike, you are good at what you do, young man. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, I, I love, I love the young man. We can stop right there. <laughs> we're, you know, I'm, I'm older. I, I consider myself a, a traditional guy with values. I believe I have a certain obligation and responsibility as a, as a man, uh, to, as a provider, mm. And, um, during my time putting racing for recovery together, we struggled. Uh, like I said, bankruptcies two times, mm. ours repossessed lights, almost getting turned off, not knowing, um, what was going to happen over the holidays, sometimes struggling with buying school supplies. And I had family members, including my dad saying to me, I love what you're doing you're on the verge of, uh, not doing the right thing as a, as a father. And I, I heard that and it, I just kept going because I believed in what I was doing. And thankfully we've come out of all those hardships. It's been seven years now of being okay, where I can provide for those I, I care about. Uh, but it was a struggle, but again, Mike, look, anything in life, that's worthwhile is not going to come without a struggle. I learned a lot about myself. My kids learned a lot. My kids saw their dad not giving up and believing in what was possible because they benefited for it. Three of my kids work at racing for recovery now. So I, I realized it's not about materialistic things. It's about doing the right thing that can serve other people. And my kids have learned that. You have a strong heart, Todd Crandall. You have a very strong heart. One of the last questions I ask on Find Your Finish Line is, it's called Try Table Racing. Table Racing comes out of the Baja 1000 Racing. I have a lot of friends that race down there, living here in San Diego, and I've, I've been down there and raced. And, and afterwards, they get together and they sit around a table and they reminisce about the race. They call it Table Racing. I call this Try Table Racing. So reminisce to us about an, an event, something that happened at an event. Just try table race with us and reminisce real quick, if you would. Wow. What, come, uh, what Iron, comes to your mind? First thing that comes to my mind, Ironman Cozumel. I don't know when I did it. 2012. Standing in the water, girl taps me on my shoulder and said, I'm here because I read your first book and I got sober and here I am. Oh, oh my I, God. You didn't know she was there. That just happened? Just happened. Here's another one. Uh, Ironman Hawaii 2019. Freaking out about doing that iconic race. <laughs> Third time I was fortunate enough to do it. Um, a guy asked me, no, I, I'm drinking a, a, an energy drink or whatever. And I asked the guy, hey, do you want a hit of this? And he looked at me and he said, there's no alcohol in that, right? And I go, no, I gave that up 30 years ago. And he turned and looked at me and he goes, you're that guy. He goes, I read your book 
It made me go back to dental school. I've been sober a bunch of time. Here I am doing Ironman Hawaii. I, I could go on and on about this stuff. It's been so humbling to have stuff like that come up to me. Now, notice, Mike, I didn't say I did such and such race at such and such time. And it's not about that. Yeah. It's not about that for me. I, I, it's not, it's that somebody that heard of racing for recovery and they're at the same race that I'm at beautiful or the countless family members I've met at races who have said, you saved my son's life. Like it happened to me at Ironman, Massachusetts. A father told me that I was, I was running, starting the run. It's that Mike, that's what's been great for me. That's what it's all about. Well, that, that's a great reminisce. I absolutely love that. Thank you for that. How can people find you, Todd, and get a hold of you and hear about Race for Recovery or get your books? Give, give us a little info on how they can do that. I am the Sober Ultraman on Instagram, or as the young kids say, the gram. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't pull that off. Uh, where, you know, racingforrecovery.org, toddcrandall.com, Twitter, TikTok, all the stuff. Uh, I'm here. I answer all of my stuff. If you reach out to me, you're going to hear from me. Uh, you're going to hear from me personally. I'm here to help. If you are struggling, you're hearing this right now, you haven't quite found your, your finish line or your way in life, give me a blast and I'll do whatever I can to help you. Todd Crandall, thank you very much for being on the podcast. And a bigger thank you for sharing some of the things from your life that May have been a little difficult, but I don't think they uh, were that difficult for you because you know it may affect another person out there to find their race and road to recovery. So thank you very much for that. Mike, you pulled some stuff out of me today that uh, I, I wasn't expecting, but I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you did because I know what I said was, was honest and people are going to feel that. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, and, and uh, it's my honor to have talked to you, Todd. So we'll be in touch, Northwest Ohio, Toledo. Next time I'm by, you know I'm going to be in that facility. I just want to go in that workout room, dude, and start working out in those machines you have. So <laughs> <It's> awesome. <laughs> I know. Thanks again, and thank you, everybody, for listening to another edition of Find Your Finish Line. I've been getting a lot of messages about people, how they can buy my book for the holidays, and you can buy it on Amazon. and. Send a message to Mike at MikeRiley.net and how I can sign it and send it back to you. The same for my video recordings. If you want to get a personal video recording for your loved one for the holidays, go to MikeRiley.net. You can get it there. Thank you again, everybody. Remember, as I always say, you're the cause of your own experiences. Start making those experiences positive and you will always find your finish line. My warmest aloha.